On the 21st of June, 1991, Margaret Perry, a young civil servant from Portadown in Northern Ireland, vanished. The police in Portadown have renewed an appeal for information about a woman who's been missing since the 21st of June. She's 26-year-old Margaret Sarah Perry from Churchill Park in the town. She's described as slim with a sallow complexion, dark blue eyes, black hair. For a year, her disappearance remained a mystery. Then, following a tip-off from the IRA, her body was found in a shallow grave over the border in Mullamore in Ireland. And they walked about for a full year after they killed Maggie Perry and got away with it. More than 30 years on, despite the existence of three confession tapes, Margaret's murder remains officially unsolved. So who was protecting Margaret's killers? Was it the IRA or the police? And how much did the British state know about a series of murders in Ireland, including Margaret's? The families and friends of the victims have never received definitive answers. But that could be about to change following a six-year investigation into one of the murkiest episodes in The Dirty Wall. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, an unsolved murder, the Troubles and the British State. I'm Glenn Keogh. I'm a senior reporter at the Sunday Times, specialising in in-depth news reports and investigations. And Glenn, one of the areas that you've really focused on over the last few years has been Northern Ireland and the Troubles. Tell us a bit about that. I just find the period of history fascinating, and particularly that this is something that's ongoing. It's still politically divisive. Uh, legislation has only recently been passed into prosecutions relating to the Troubles. There's so many murders that are still unsolved, so I just I was interested in reading about that period of history and getting the chance to report on it has been um, quite exciting. Yeah, history, but it's clearly not over. No, no, it's not at all, no. You've written about one case in particular in the Sunday Times. This is the story of Margaret Perry. Tell us a bit about her and how, how you came to look at her case. So I was reading into the steak knife case, which I'd written about before, Steakknife being the Army's top agent within the IRA. And as I was doing some research, Margaret Perry's name popped up, and I was having some discussions with a, a freelance reporter, a colleague of mine, Mick Brown in Belfast, and we both agreed she's closely enough linked to the Steakknife scandal to be a way to explore the topic. Margaret was a 26-year-old civil servant no IRA allegiance as far as we're aware and her murder was a real shock, a real scandal in Northern Ireland and it remains officially unsolved. Having found this case that is still unsolved that you really want to look into, how did you go about doing it? So I made some preliminary inquiries and then earlier this year I went over to Northern Ireland with my colleague Mick and we made some inquiries there trying to speak to friends and family 
And in the end, we managed to track down Margaret's best friend, a lady by the name of Sheila Kelly. And by meeting Sheila Kelly, I mean, tell us a bit about what you learnt about Margaret as a person. So Sheila was very open to talking to us. We simply knocked on the door of her bungalow in Portadown and she, she let us in. And we had a very long chat about Margaret's life. I mean, the two had known each other since they were children. And Margaret, Sheila told me, was very quiet, quite shy. She loved speaking Gaelic. She loved Irish music. And she was, by all accounts, a, a lovely person to be around. And what happened to Margaret? So things changed a little bit in Portadown, when in around 1990, Margaret embarked on a relationship with a man by the name of Gregory Burns. Now, for reasons unknown, Margaret seemed to fall, really fall head over heels for Burns, but he happened to be a leading member of the IRA in Portadown at the time. Ah, now that must have been quite alarming for her, her friends and family. How did they react? Uh, it's safe to say they weren't best pleased about the situation. Burns and two of his close associates were well known in the area, not just for their IRA activities, but for the fact that they were bullies, essentially. They were carrying out robberies, unsanctioned robberies from the IRA. They were involved in sort of common violence, thefts. They were bad news, essentially. And Margaret's friend Sheila tried to warn her off Burns, and it didn't do anything, as did her mother, Mary. Her mother was very concerned about the relationship as well. They didn't like him being a member of the IRA. They weren't politically aligned to the cause in such a strong way. No. Um, they were also worried because he was a married man at the time. Yes, he was. That's one of the strange aspects at the time. Despite Margaret's infatuation with him, it seemed he had a, another partner at the time. But over a period of a few months, she did end up living with him in a flat in Portadown. And you mentioned that he was running the IRA in Portadown, in the area. Well, he was one of the most senior figures in he the was, IRA. I think it would be fair to say second in command in Portadown, yeah. What exactly did that involve? What do we know about what he was doing? Portadown is a very small place, and it's actually a Protestant-majority town with a very small Catholic enclave. The IRA men there would be tasked with all sorts of IRA activities. But the problem in Portadown was... There was three main men. It was Gregory Burns, Aidan Stars, who was the OC or officer commanding of the IRA there, and John or Johnny Dignam. And what got those boys into trouble was that, as well as carrying out IRA activities, they were carrying out their own robberies without the IRA knowing. Tell us a bit about these three characters who were running the IRA in Portadown at the time. Stars was a 29-year-old man. He was described as the OC, officer commanding, as I said earlier. Burns and Dignan were men in their 30s. Now, we spoke to a, a number of former IRA men in the area who had knowledge of the trio, and the consensus seemed to be that Burns and Stars were, I think one man described them to me as common hoods, common criminals, basically, whereas Dignan was warned away from hanging with the other two. One person I spoke to said he was the only true Republican whereas the other two were common criminals. So why he chose to continue associating with them, I, I don't know. So Burns was described by people as a bit of a ladies' man. He liked the attention of women, and I think Margaret liked this. Sheila said he thought he was God's gift to women, and regardless of his IRA affiliations, uh, Margaret thought he was the bee's knees. So you've got Margaret Perry, who's clearly fallen in love with, with a man who's not only very senior in the local IRA, he's also 
a bully and a common criminal in many ways. They're carrying out robberies, extortion off their own back. How does that affect their relationship? So after they've been together, I think, around a year, it's Burns who actually wants to end the relationship with Margaret Perry, and she doesn't take this well at all. Sheila told me she was, for whatever reason, infatuated with him, head over heels. And while Burns are trying to end it, Margaret resorts to threatening him, essentially. And she says to Sheila and to other people that she's got information that could sink Burns and his two IRA associates. Do we know what kind of information she might have had? So Sheila wasn't clear and it wasn't discussed explicitly at the time, but Sheila told me she knew that Margaret, rightly or wrongly, was listening into Burns' phone calls. So she knew about IRA activity that was being carried out. But there's also a suspicion, and Sheila looks back now thinking of whether this was the case, of whether she knew that at the time Burns was actually informing to the British intelligence authorities. Wow. So Burns isn't just a very senior member of the local IRA and a criminal. He's also an informant for the British authorities. He's a double agent. That's what came out later on. Burns and his two associates were later apprehended and forced to record confessions by the IRA where they admitted that they were passing intelligence to the British. Now, it must be said, it's very hard to fully establish what the truth was here, but making inquiries myself in uh, Northern Ireland, we spoke to a number of former IRA men who confirmed the suspicion that Burns was informing. And now you've got a very difficult and tempestuous situation. You've got Margaret, who's trying to cling on to this relationship by threatening her bullying IRA A very dangerous man, yes. A very dangerous man. What happens? So, while Burns is trying to end the relationship, I think at one point he even kicks her out of the flat, Margaret doesn't take it well at all. And she and Sheila meet very regularly for a, a drink. Sheila had a bar in her bungalow in, in Portadown. Sheila spoke to Glenn about this period, but she also discussed it in a BBC documentary in the early 90s, not long after it happened. She came home, came into my house and was totally distraught, crying uncontrollably and saying, very, very angry at Burns, saying that she had something to sink, not just only Burns, but stars as well. And not long after that, Burns rang and she told him on the phone that she would sink use you bastards. Now, Sheila can't recall exactly what that trouble was, but it's clear that she was treading a very fine line with a, a number of dangerous individuals. How do they respond? So we'll fast forward a little bit to June the 21st, 1991, Margaret has a, a good job in the tax office of the civil service in Lisbon in Northern Ireland, and she's supposed to be going to work that morning. She actually phones in sick, unbeknown to her mother at the time, and we believe she was told that she was going to be meeting Burns somewhere over the border in uh, the Republic of Ireland. And Aidan Stars, as I mentioned, the officer commanding the IRA in Porter Down, picks her up drives Margaret over the border, we learn this later on, from some confession tapes that were made under interrogation of the three IRA men. Stars is said to have strangled 
Margaret with a length of cord and battered her around the head with a spade before burying her in a shallow grave. This is just over the border? Just over the border, yes. But very sadly for Margaret's family, no one was aware of what had happened to her for just over a year. Coming up, Margaret had been brutally murdered, but would justice ever catch up with Burns, Stars and Dignam? And how much did the British state know about the murder? That's in just a moment. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm David Baddiel. I'm a writer and a comedian and a Jew. I'm Saeed Avasi. I'm a businesswoman and a politician and a Muslim. Jews and Muslims always seem to be in the news or on the news. Lots of people talk about us, and this is us talking about ourselves. The kind of things that people say don't touch, yeah. we are going to go there. I mean, I think Jews and Muslims are talking about these things, but I think they're not talking about them together because they're worried that if they do, sparks might fly. A Muslim and a Jew go there. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Before we plunge back into this episode, just a quick reminder. If you're a Time subscriber, you can catch the latest episodes of Inside the Newsroom, our brand new behind-the-scenes series on Apple Podcasts. It's just for subscribers, so if you want to work out how to link your Time subscription to Apple Podcasts, or if you're having any trouble accessing the episodes, then please do log on to thetimes.co.uk forward slash bonus episodes. Glenn, you mentioned that people found out what had happened to Margaret when there had been these confession tapes. That's how we know so much about what happened the day she went missing. Mm. How did those tapes come about? What happens to those three senior IRA figures from Portadown? Her ex-boyfriend, Burns, his boss, Stars, and their associate, Dignan. There's missing person posters going up all around Portadown. People are desperately trying to find out what's happened to Margaret or Maggie, as she was known to her friends and family. But suspicion immediately falls on Burns, Stars and Dignam, to the extent that Sheila Kelly confronts Burns in the street at one point and says, I know, I know you killed Maggie. Margaret's mother, Mary, also confronts him and she actually beats him with a stick at one point. I happened to just be going round the corner when I saw Gregory Burns going into the local chip shop. And I said, um, what have you done to Margaret? And he said, you are a sick woman and I am a sick man. 
I've done nothing to your daughter. And he started to shield his face and I just battered him out of the chip shop and right down the car park. And I flayed at him. I couldn't hit him hard enough. They're under suspicion and their persona non grata in Portadown, they already were hated. I don't think is um, too strong a word to use because of the way they were, they were going on in the town. But regardless, those three men carry on getting up to no good, really, carrying out robberies, um, that kind of thing. Are the authorities questioning them? Sheila told me that she went to the police with her suspicions that Burns was involved, yet we don't know, and the police won't confirm to me whether he was ever arrested on suspicion of Margaret's murder. But it's fair to say their name is well and truly in the frame. Now, we find out later on from the confession tapes I've alluded to that it's believed that Stars and Dignam were actually arrested in connection with the murder. Hmm. And this may be where, if you believe their confessions to the IRA, they decided to um, start working with the British authorities, passing on information. Ah, so now not only Burns, the former boyfriend, who was already a double agent, but his two associates are now also supplying information to Britain. That's what we believe, yes. Because they're in trouble over this murder. Exactly. Now, what's really intriguing about all of this is that you said everything we know about the day and about the murder itself comes from confession tapes to the IRA, not to the the British authorities. Tell me about that. So the British authorities haven't done much. There's been a couple of arrests, but they've just actually ended up recruiting a few more double agents. Mm. What does the IRA do about this murder? So as time goes on, it's becoming quite clear that these boys are spelling trouble even for the IRA. We actually believe that in 1990, so before Margaret disappeared, they were banned from doing sanctioned operations because they were too hot-headed even for the IRA. These boys were up to no good for the whole time. And one of the key incidents seems to be that stars, and we believe Burns and Dignam, rob a snooker club Mm. in Portadown using IRA weapons. Now, for IRA men to carry out an unsanctioned robbery using IRA weapons Ah. would get them in a lot of trouble with their IRA superiors. What does the IRA do? So in June 1992, now we're around a year after the disappearance of Margaret Perry, Burns and his associates start to go missing one by one. And then on July the 2nd, 1992, there's a tip-off to a priest who we believe to be an IRA member, that some bodies are going to be found over the border in the Republic. Inquiries are made, and quickly the bodies of Burns, Stars and Dignam are found dumped by roadside in County Armagh, half covered in black bin bags. They're all killed? All killed with a gunshot to the back of the head. And now we know that was the method of execution used by the IRA's so-called Internal Security Unit also called the Nutting Squad, because that was how they would like to kill a suspected informants with a gunshot wound to the back of the head. Or the Nut, as they were called. This internal security unit, mm. which seems to carry out the most horrific murders, what exactly is their job? What do they do? So the internal security unit, or Nutting Squad, the role of that team was to root out, interrogate and often kill suspected informants. So IRA men who they believed were passing information to the British. 
So they'd clearly realised that these three had turned into double agents. That's right. Or they had their suspicions or they just wanted to get rid of them. But whatever happened, they had enough suspicion to uh, grab these men, interrogate and ultimately kill them. And in the process of interrogation, they've recorded these confession tapes. That's right. Was it standard for the IRA back then to make these public? It did seem standard practice at the time. However, in this case, they weren't made public initially at all. There would either be letters written to family members or tapes released. And they, these tapes only surfaced in a BBC documentary about a year later in the, in the early 90s. I'm Gregory Barnes, 33 years of age. I started working for British Intelligence in But on these quite lengthy confessions, the men admit to their roles, giving information to the British. Gregory Burns from as early as 1979. And ultimately that, according to the IRA, is why they had to be dealt with in the, in the way they were. Glenn, what's so fascinating about this story is that not only do you have the murder of this innocent woman, which is still officially unsolved, you also have the rather strange involvement, in one way or another, of the British state. So just looking at the three men who end up dead, we know that they were all double agents for different Mm. lengths of time. Did their involvement with the British state, did it protect them from being charged with murder? Did they? Did the British authorities know that, that Margaret Perry was going to be murdered? So that's, I guess, the key question in this whole case, is were these men protected because of their roles passing information to the British? And this is an accusation we've heard a number of times in relation to agents during the Troubles. It would seem that there was a lot of evidence pointing to these men being involved in her disappearance, these men being involved in robberies and other crimes, yet they continued to walk the streets. I mean, that's remarkable. There are lots of questions for the British authorities in the way that they handled these three men and the crimes they were allowed to get away with. What makes this story even more astonishing is the other layer of British state involvement. This goes back to the nutting squad, mm. the the people who actually carried out the interrogation and then killed these three IRA men, Burns, Stars and Dignam. Tell us about the man who was the head of that unit. So by this stage in the early 1990s, we believe that a man called Freddy Scapatici was running the internal security unit. Uh, Scapatici, there's now a mountain of evidence to uh, believe in state that he was a long-term British agent who went by the code name Steak Knife. So the man who kills these three men for being double agents for the British is himself a double agent for the British. That's right. I mean, we can't say for certain whether he pulled the trigger, but IRA sources have told us that he would have been absolutely integral in the abduction, interrogation and murder of, of these three men. Now, this character who was known as Steak Knife, there's been a lot of investigation into him recently. Tell us a bit about Operation Canova. So since 2016, a number of current and former police officers 
under the Operation Canova banner, have been investigating the activities of Steak Knife, or Scapatici, in an operation that's cost, I think, around £40 million. And what this is examining is the role of the state, collusion in, in murder, kidnap, abduction, and whether any of these crimes could have been prevented. And will the investigation look at the murders we've been talking about? We believe the investigation will at least look at the murders of Burns, Stars and Dignam. Whether that will extend to Perry, we don't know. But I put a number of detailed questions to the Operation Canova team after discussing with the families. They're refusing to identify or go into detail on which exact murders they're looking at. When do we expect Operation Canova to report back? When will we find out the extent of Steak Knife's operations? So I think it's fair to say it's dragged on slightly and there is frustration in the number of delays there has been in the publication of this report. We now believe it's going to be coming out in the new year, but it's under the um, control of the Police Service of Northern Ireland now. And John Boucher, the former Chief Constable of Bedfordshire Police, who was heading the investigation, he has since left to become the Chief Constable of the PSNI. And in the meantime, there's been a raft of legislation in Westminster, which will make it quite hard for anybody to be held accountable for any of this. I mean, the thing with long-term investigations such as this is part of the remit, as Mr Boucher has said before, is to give families, uh, relatives of those who were killed by Steak Knife and Associates, some closure uh, so they can find out what happened. But one of the issues you have there is if you're told that there was maybe state involvement, state collusion in the murder of your loved one. You might want to see more than that. You might want to see, some people may call it justice. In other words, it might be revenge. I don't know. But legislation passed through Westminster earlier this year bans all new criminal and civil probes into Troubles uh, era, Troubles-related crimes. This bill effectively uh, allows people who are accused of murder during the Troubles to come forward and provide information instead. And if they provide information, they will be granted immunity from prosecution. Victims groups and all political parties here have opposed it because they say it only brings closure for perpetrators. So this is going to be perhaps difficult for some families to swallow that when they, if they do finally find out that something could have been done to prevent the murders of their loved ones that no one will be held to account on a criminal basis for that. That's incredibly hard. It must be very hard for for Margaret Perry's friends and family. I mean, Sheila Kelly is still, I could see just from talking to her, this has affected her greatly and she still struggles to come to terms with what happened to her friend and knowing that no one was ever held responsible for the murder and by all accounts no one will be. And sadly, Margaret Perry's mother died in um, 2020. And what's happened to Freddie Scapatici, the man known as Steak Knife? In one of the perhaps strange elements of the Canova investigation is in April this year, Scapatici, widely understood to be Steak Knife, actually died. So obviously there's no prospect of him facing a court ever again. And regardless, in 2020, prosecutors looked at a number of Canova files and decided that Scapatici and others would face no charges there. Operation Canova, which, as you say, has taken years and has cost millions, Mm. will it actually achieve anything? Will it provide answers or, or a sense of satisfaction for the people and for the families and the loved ones of 
people who haven't had answers for so long? Or do you think this legislation makes it all a bit pointless? It's a difficult question to answer. I mean, it will provide a lot more detail than what families will have known on what happened to their loved ones and how it was allowed to happen. But given that in some instances we're 30, 40 years on from the the crime, the incident, will it help them come to terms with it or will it just reopen all old wounds? I don't know. But the legislation, of course, makes it very difficult for any further action going forward. And that does perhaps beg the question, why are we doing all this? Looking at the history of the Troubles, there Mm. have been a lot of processes of, you know, talking about what the IRA did wrong, what some of the Ulster Union forces did wrong. We haven't really looked very much at what the British authorities were doing through all of this. Is there a sense here that they knew people were going to be murdered and turned a blind eye? Is there a sense here that they basically covered up murders and terrible crimes because they were committed by people who were providing them with information. I mean, that's one of the suspicions, and it's difficult to know with certainty, but, I mean, Scapatici's been described in the past as the army's golden egg, and it would seem that his information was so important to the British that they were doing everything they could to protect him. And one other important question is, with Scapatucci receiving instructions from the British while he was leading the Internal Security Unit or Nutting Squad, one question perhaps arises as to, was he doing the army's dirty work for them? I mean, it was clear Burns, Stars and Dignam, something had to be done about them. Was Scapatucci the man who was in task with, with doing it? They were becoming a liability even for the British authorities at this Indeed. stage. Yeah. Do you think there's any chance that anybody within the British state will ever be held responsible for that? Will there ever be questions asked? Just because if you look at the rest of the United Kingdom, if you had the case of even one of those murders, if you had the case of a 26-year-old woman being killed and the authorities effectively helping to cover it up rather than investigating it, all these years later, it's still officially unsolved. Mm. People would expect answers. Sadly, I think it's very unlikely. I think to a criminal standard, no, I don't think we will see that. We approached the government about this story. The Ministry of Defence said that they're fully cooperating with Operation Canova, so it would be inappropriate to comment further. The Police Service of Northern Ireland said that the cases are due for review by the Legacy Investigation Branch, and in the meantime... They were not in a position to provide any information on arrests, charges or convictions. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Mandreen Rana, and my guest, Sunday Times senior reporter, Glenn Keogh. For more information on this story, you can find Glenn's full reporting on the murder of Margaret Perry and Operation Canova online at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producer today was Edward Drummond. The executive producer was Kate Ford. And sound design was by Hannah Farrell. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.